correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm here with my friend Steve. Hello. And this week we have a couple guests on, but before we get to that, we have a podcast for the week. Steve, what is our podcast for the week? It is the Genesis Archive which is an actual play podcast here on the D20 Radio Network. And uh, as the name would suggest, they play Genesis stuff. Now, everything that they've released thus far is in their created setting of the Unseen World, which is a really neat, oh, I call it a modern fantasy mythology setting, but it's set in Las Vegas. So you get the anything that can happen in Las Vegas element on top of it. And it's, mm-hmm. it's really good. Really, really good. Very, very interesting urban fantasy setting. And yeah, we talked to them quite a while back, but yeah, it's been a while ago, but yeah, very, very cool podcast. Very cool setting. Interesting stuff over there at mm-hmm. Genesis archives. And if you're looking for them, you can find them at anchor.fm slash the Genesis archives, or there'll be a link in the show notes as usual. Yeah. So this week we have a guest on. We actually have two. So do you want to introduce our guests? Sure. This week we're joined by uh, Brian and Alex, who are a couple of the organizers for the convention that you've heard Steve and I talk about a few times here and there in the past month or so. Uh, It's a convention that's local for us here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But uh, we were going to talk about that and also just maybe some of the bigger kind of behind the scenes stuff about what it takes to set up a convention and and all that kind of fun stuff. You know, I mean, if you listen to our show, we wander and. Yeah. And based on the conversation we had before the podcast, whatever, wherever the wind blows, apparently. There you go. So with that, welcome, uh, Brian and Alex. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Glad to be here. Thank you, folks, for coming on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Been listening to the show for a little bit here. I found you guys through my podcast feed probably about a year ago. And I was super stoked when I found out that you guys were local and happy to connect. So glad that we were able to work this out. I actually remember him being stoked that he found a local podcast that he was listening to. So <laughs> Yeah, well there's there's a couple from out of the area, but not too many I that I know of. But yeah, it's you know, I appreciate you guys listening and, and uh you know, asking us to come to the convention and so forth. And uh, so I guess maybe first off, do you want to just tell us a little bit about what the Pittsburgh Gaming Expo is? Yeah, sure. Alex, you want to take it or you want me to take it? Sure, I'll hop in. The Pittsburgh Gaming Expo is kind of the brainchild of really wanting to create a space where we could kind of fixate on all of the weird passions and interests that we had as like the, the folks organizing it. So I love tabletop. I'm a huge retro gamer. I own a retro gaming store. And Brian and uh, his original partner had actually built a community around retro gaming in Pittsburgh. So it was a natural kind of like conversation that we started having about how can we kind of get all of the gaming we love into one place and kind of build it into something exciting and community driven. Okay. And so, yeah, this is 
as as I've been sold it from what I've seen on the website, what I've seen of of Wiz posting on Discords and so on and so forth. It's a tabletop convention. It's a retro video game convention. There's pinball. There's lots and lots of everything. Yep. Uh, it's it's yeah. all kind of the same universal language of just playing stuff, uh, community and talking to people that you're playing with. Yeah, absolutely. So like the community that we had started, Alex had referenced, it was very much geared towards collecting gray, square and rectangular cartridges. But tabletop was always a big passion. And it was something that always kind of felt lacking as we started doing events and meetups and things like that in the community. And when we finally got the opportunity to do this show, that was my big pitch was we have to bring tabletop. Even though I'm not going to get to play any of it, I want to see lots of people playing board games and you know, tabletop RPGs. And I had recently gotten back into tabletop RPGs. And I'll tell you what, it was a great move because it has brought a real vibrance to the community that I don't want to say was lacking, but was maybe waning because tabletop RPGs are a very social thing. Yeah. They they really are. And like in my experience, most tabletop gamers are also into some sort of other gaming. Correct. You know, not all of us are all into the same other gaming, but most of us are into some sort of other gaming. Yeah, there's a cross pollination, it seems, between if you like one type of game, you might like another. Like I grew up on JRPGs, so naturally, uh, eventually DMing kind of came with that process and eventually getting into weird tabletop all came with that, too. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I think is really cool about the show that we're building, at least our current layout, is I don't know if you've ever been to like Epcot Center, but it's a giant ring and you can walk around the globe and experience different things about different places. And then you end where you started. And accidentally, to a degree, that is kind of how our show is like. Like if you go to the right, you're going to run into the tabletop board game area and then you're going to run into the rpg section and if you keep making your way around the ring you eventually end up in the pinball section and a arcade section and then a home game a video game console section and then you end up coming full circle back around to vendors that have all the awesome things that you just kind of meandered and it's awesome in the regard that you can get somebody who's never played a tabletop rpg and They've always heard about them. They're really into video games or they're really into pinball. And they're like, you know, I'm going to go to this convention and I'm going to play a bunch of pinball. But, you know, the show goes from 10 a.m. to 1 a.m. on Saturday. And then there's a whole other day on Sunday. Maybe I have time to check out this hobby that I've never indulged in. It doesn't cost me any extra. You know, or vice versa. The same could be true. It's like, well, you know, I didn't play a whole lot of arcade games. Maybe they don't exist where I am. Let's go check out some arcade games. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, my, me growing up, I grew up in, in very rural area, North central Pennsylvania. And like, there was a few arcade games at the local roller rink. That was it. I played Mortal Kombat two at the laundromat. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up in, uh, up in Armstrong County. So we were always a good solid decade behind. So I got to play some arcade before, uh, you know, it was 10 years out that arcades had died, but up in Catanning, we had plenty. (laughs) See, I was spoiled. I grew up in the North Hills of Pittsburgh and every single mall in the, in the region had an arcade and some of them had two. 
and my synapses just fire every time I walk into an arcade or anything like that. And I just have to sit there and let it wash out. Um, <laughs> I, so it, it really pains me. They're pretty much by and large gone now. There's a couple, but yeah, I couldn't imagine growing up without arcade, even in yeah. like the eighties and nineties. Yeah. See, I think me growing up, the nearest mall was an hour away and I don't think it had an arcade in it. Like, I honestly don't know where the nearest, so to speak, arcade would have been to where I grew up. I think it was like 2001, they got rid of the arcade in Westmoreland Mall, and that would have been the closest arcade for me. Wow. Anyway. Yeah. Beside that. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, so this is all happening, what, is it October 1st and 2nd of 2022 this year? Yeah. Yeah, it's October 1st and 2nd. We're at the Monroeville Convention Center, and show hours Saturday, 10 a.m., till 1 a.m., typically Sunday morning. And then Sunday, it all starts over again at 10 a.m. and goes until 5. Okay, cool, cool. I know you have what you have. Well, you said you have some vendors. Um, I know you have several bands scheduled. So, I mean, it's a, it's a whole thing. It's not just. Yeah, we have, um, we have somewhere north of 50 individual vendors across 140 plus tables. We have a ton of local business sponsors that actually kicked in to kind of help generate some more buzz for the show. We have a, a really killer lineup of like, God, I think we have five bands. We've got some of which are actually regional based too. They're all kind of local and they all kind of focus on this geeky music uh, that we grew up in. One of our bands is a, is a Rush cover band. Another one of our bands plays uh, rock and roll covers of, of video game music. Uh, our big headlining band is a is a band called Master Sword. They're a, a concept band of they do power metal based on the Legend of Zelda. So we kind of made sure we 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 were very on brand with the bands that we bring in, uh, and we didn't have to be we didn't have to work hard to do it because it seems like there's this natural correlation between music and metal and geekiness and and video games, and it seems to all be this like coalescing force between different types of gamers. We all kind of like you know, a little of one and a little of other. And then when you put them all together, it just, it seems to be a natural fit. Mm -hmm. Now just, you, you're saying you have a lot of local, local businesses and so forth. Have, have you guys gotten to the stage yet or you're attracting any sort of like, you know, be it game companies, you know, be it video, tabletop, et cetera, to, to come in for the shows or are you still all we, we generally like to look for people in the region first. I mean, right out of the gate, the show is called Pittsburgh Gaming Expo. And as much as we, you know, I'm not I'm not foolish enough to suggest that we wouldn't love some a major company. And but at the same time, we we want to really fixate on a lot of the local groups that are developing this stuff, too. So if we can find local independent game developers or uh, like video game developers or tabletop developers, we'd like to talk to them almost as much as we would like to talk to somebody that's that's massive because at least mm -hmm. we can spotlight people that are in the region kind of at the ground level, the way we're trying to be too. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I was just curious because we did have uh, a listener asked a question when we mentioned that we were going to be talking to you guys about, you know, how has the fact that, you know, because of COVID and it really changing the landscape of, of cons, has that affected you guys as far as, you know, your advertising or, or who you're getting to come to the things or because you're more regionally focused, do you think it hasn't really hit you as much? I think it's a little bit of both, honestly. I mean, obviously, uh, our first year when we announced for the first show, we uh, we had been working on launching in October of 2020. So naturally, that that didn't happen. It didn't come to pass. And we had to reschedule our show for for 2021 uh, a whole year later. So 
one of the big things that we had is we kind of had to deal with a lot of generally how do I want to word this? We have a lot of local love in the convention side of things, which is really beneficial to us. But in regards to like COVID actually putting a stop to it, we put our show out far enough that it generally seemed to because we were local, it didn't cause a lot of headaches. Naturally, we encourage safety and everything else. But at the same time, because we were talking so local, we kind of had more of a ground level conversation with our vendors and with our exhibitors, our guests and everything. And it seemed to be a little bit more uh, just easier. It wasn't as, as huge of a roadblock as we expected it to be going in. Okay. Yeah. I was just, you know, like, because, you know, you have seen, I know, you know, from talking to some people in the tabletop industry, as far as the RPG side that, you know, the convention circuit, you know, there's a lot of companies that, you know, they don't want it to fly. They're still not comfortable being in, you know, the big convention, especially, you know, like the Gen Cons and the Origins and, you know, the really big conventions. It's like, well, you know, and, and I understand that because, you know, regardless of your views on whatever, look, if there's a lot of people in a confined space, it's a very good way to, for anything to, to meander amongst those people. One of the benefits too, that we have being a smaller show is when you have something like Gen Con, you're talking in the the five digit kind of attendees. You're talking tens and ten, you know, tens, twenty thousand people or more. I, I don't know their exact numbers. One of the benefits to being a smaller show like us is we're dealing in the the twos and threes. It's a little bit easier to kind of social distance and be safer. It's a little bit easier to to you're not as shoulder to shoulder as you would be at something major like that. And I think that while anything can happen at the same time, we generally try to encourage safety. And I think the big benefit to being a smaller regional focus show is that we're not going to hit these massive numbers where it could necessarily be a, a dangerous situation. Right. Right. I think our scale also helps us in that. And our focus on being regional is we're not a show that was overly dependent or reliant on these massive brands or entities getting involved with us uh, because we kind of, we always kind of underestimate ourselves to a degree and we always look at it as, well, let's build local. Let's bring attention to local podcasts, local developers, things like that. And I mean, if our Talsorian talk to us, that's cool, but they were never our primary focus. So in that regard, we don't end up with a exhibitor hall that's largely empty because of valid concerns over travel and things of those nature, because we're, really focused on local sounds fair so um I, I guess look i mean you know i enjoy playing some video games i've uh, i've joked that i don't play pinball because all the lights and bells and whistles work too well on me <laughs> um <laughs> you know and that i get distracted by them and lose track of the shiny thing but like do you have like as far as your layout you know how is it split say evenly between the different things or is it you know weighted any particular way or i I mean for us a lot of it is the way the wind moves i mean at the end of the day we try to make sure that our vendors uh they're they're the entryway the vendors you walk through them and you walk past them but we try to make sure that we have everything kind of kind of separated in a way that allows it to each kind of little section to be its own world and we weight it based on what we have A, a huge amazing part of our show which is both a blessing, I won't pretend it's not, but also I feel guilty that we can't be greater to the community. Our show is community-driven. So the arcade machines come in, uh, a lot of them come from either local support from actual collectors and owners. 
A lot of them come in from support from local businesses who participate in that in that kind of world, and they play that arcade space. But likewise, all of our all of our DMs in the tabletop area are community driven and kind of sourced as people that sign up. So we weight the actual show based on the local attention that we get and how much of a community drive we get in a specific area. Okay. Okay. So like, I'm just going to say, for example, like if, if you're a local RPG nut and you want to kind of make that section bigger in, in coming years, then, you know, come out and participate and support it yeah. and crowd that area up. Correct. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's, that's actually kind of what's happening this year. We've gotten a huge groundswell of new support for that tabletop area. Uh, we went from having, I think, 85 hours across the whole weekend of tabletop RPGs being played to, I think, at our last count, we're somewhere north of 130 now for this year. I actually think uh, we're higher than that. I think our math was off. I re-looked at it, and I think we're closer to actually 160 hours. I like. I love being wrong on that one. So that's yeah, awesome. Um, like, yeah, it, and this is... The, that was a space that, like I said before, there was some skepticism as to whether or not it was actually going to be supported or even anyone be interested in it. And that is where we're seeing not just the uh, the biggest groundswell of support from attendees, but from exhibitors and vendors, too. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, but I feel like we've had a very strong surge in vendors that want to sell every manner of tabletop accoutrement that you could want at a convention. Very much so. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's something I try to stress to people when I tell them, like, do not wait for the show you want when it comes to P PGX. Support the show you have, and that will build the show you want. And that's been true so far to this point. That's how we've that's how we've run this and molded it. And it's kind of given the show a really unique character and personality, which is kind of cool. Very, it's very independent in its launch, kind of. It seems like we came from kind of being almost like a garage show to like it's being shaped by the community in a way that that we love. It's it's awesome. I mean, it very much started. Its roots are a garage show. We our first our first ever event was a meetup, a community meetup for Pittsburgh Retro Gaming at Game Masters Pittsburgh. On, well, the old location now on Babcock Boulevard, and that's how this whole thing really kicked off and somebody told me the other day i was talking to him it's like man your show is like very punk rock in that it's not really a corporate show but it's you know it's kind of free flow and you know it does its own thing that's cool i i've honestly i can say this will be my first convention experience so i'm i'm very excited and i don't know if you've calculated it in i know i still haven't submitted what i'm going to be running at the convention yet formally so I think your block is scheduled, but it hasn't been titled yet. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So you haven't received an email from us yet because I need all that information before we can send that back to you. But, yeah. No, I, I like the idea that, you know, like, so to speak, you're, you're actually running it sort of as just a big get-together that has kind of become a convention. Absolutely. Yep. I've just put, we've just like worked to put a mod, like a, an almost modern sheen on what is effectively a swap meet and hangout. <laughs> yeah and like that's one of the other things i love about this show too is that it is very much a you pay your fee to get in and then you get to indulge in everything at that cost there, there's no hidden fee once you're in the show whether you buy a one-day badge or a two-day badge once you're in everything's there for you to enjoy there's no 
like all the arcade machines are free play. All the all the pinball is free play. There's no fee to sit down at panels. There's no table fee for game masters. You know, we take care of the game masters by letting them get into the show for free for the weekend. That's kind of like our thanks to them for their efforts and time. And that allows us to really keep the prices down as much as we possibly can while still building the show. And it really creates this atmosphere of, I'm going to go to this convention for the weekend. I'm just going to hang out with my friends and chill and play lots of games and listen and listen to panel. Well, very cool. Yeah. And, and just to speak on your pricing a little bit, you guys are very like reasonably priced for other compared to other conventions that take up the same space. <laughs> we we're doing our best. You know, yeah, we really are. I mean, that, that's thanks in part largely to, we have an awesome volunteer staff and, you know, we take care of them too. Like we really do. I don't know what other convention I've never volunteered at another convention, so I can't say that they aren't doing better or worse than we are, but our volunteers, we feed them, we give them shirts. You know, we, we, we do everything we can to thank them for allowing us to make this happen. Cause if it was just Alex, myself and Colt, my, our other partner, uh, there's no way. It could um, and that community vibe and that understanding of like, hey, these guys are actually doing it. They're putting something cool on for Pittsburgh. People are willing to support it. And that has allowed us to this point to keep the prices down. And hopefully we can continue to do it. You know, it's one of those things where it gets dictated to us. But for the, right now, for this year, for, you know, 2022, I mean, what is it? It's if you buy your badges right now on the website, it's $25 for the weekend. And if you have a kid 10 or under, they get in for free with you. I have three kids and that is huge. Like if you told me, like I could take my kids and my wife out for an entire weekend for 50 bucks. Uh, I'm in, I'm sold. <laughs> Can't even go out to eat for 50 bucks anymore. Right. Wendy's break you for that. Yeah. And, and, and granted that's, that's if you buy your tickets online, which we always encourage people to do because we offset as much as we can to keep prices low. But then when you show up at the door, obviously, you know, it's going to be full ticket price, which is still really reasonable. I think it's $10 more for a weekend badge. If you buy it at the box office, as opposed to buying it. Okay. Well, I was going to say anything more you guys want to talk on specifically about PGX. Uh, Cause I had thought, you know, we could kind of also talk about, you know, just, and I can't really speak on this because I don't have the experience, but like just some of, you know, what actually goes into setting up a convention, you know, for, for people who may not have had the experience, you know, you know, how, like, are you guys already working on the 2023 show or do you start that, so to speak, October 3rd? Uh, no, yes, we are working on 2023. Yeah, we have to be a little ahead of, we have to be a little ahead of the game now because we want to. You know, so one of the key things that we do is we want to make sure that like if our vendors liked 2022, that they have the opportunity to come back for 2023 while they're still there. So we're already planning our our vendor floors. We're already planning our our costs and everything. We're already planning on like what things are going to be. And it's getting a little bit hard to kind of stay clairvoyant on what costs are going to be. But we're doing our best. Yeah, it's definitely uh, the economy is definitely shaking things up a bit, whereas in the past it was fairly predictable. And we knew, okay, well, this is what costs are going to expand by at this point in time. Now it's kind of like, well, 
we're doing our best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you hope for the best. And, um, you know, there's things that we would like to do that will allow us to maybe not raise prices across the board a ton. But a lot of that, a lot of what we do in 2023 depends upon how 2022 performs. 2021 was amazing. It exceeded all of our expectations. And we really were sweating it up until maybe a month before the show. We were not sure how it was going to go off. Uh, Because when you're... Alex probably has the most background in marketing and retail and things of that nature where Colt and I, we don't, that's not our background. We're people, people, you know, we we're passionate about the hobby. We, you know, we're communicators. We are in different avenues where we get to mingle with people and whatnot, but really it is a crash course in learning, advertising, marketing, uh, all these different things, management how the back end of like the corporate world works and operates, you know, like I never, ever had a goal of being in a business of my own, like being a business owner. Now I find myself in this awkward position where I am accidentally a business owner because somebody has to file the taxes and file for the LLC and all those things and keep an address on record. These are all things that we had to learn. So with all that, I remember sitting at the convention center on October 2nd last year and worried that it was not going to be a big turnout and we were sweating it. And then one of our volunteers came up and said, have you looked outside? And I said, no, why? And they said, well, you should go look outside. And I went out the front doors of the convention center and there was a line wrapped around the building. And at that moment, we're like, you know what? I think we're going to be okay. I think this is going to work. And now we're just kind of like leaning on that faith in the community that is passionate about this, that wants to do this, that wants to have this event and really relying on them to kind of support this and push it forward. So we continue to grow it. And that's been probably the hardest lesson for all of us to learn uh, is that there's only so much control we have. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can imagine, yeah, and, and like, you know, okay, you know, for Steve and I, like when we decided to start the podcast, it's like, well, are people going to listen? But there's not, for us, you know, okay, we, we pay a yearly fee for hosting, but there's not this, okay, we've rented a hall and we paid for advertising and we this and this and this, and if 10 people show up, right, we're broke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, there is some and, fear there. <laughs> And that list that you just, that, that was kind of like where our brains started. And then it was like, oh, we have to rent trucks. We have to absorb all these other costs, like the advertising and many numerous things. Insurance, insurance for the event uh, was something that we had to, which was real fun to navigate during uh, COVID, by the way, because it was unprecedented. And just because of timing, we actually saved ourselves and the community, quite frankly, because the only way we could have done it if we hadn't had this luck would have been to offset the costs. And just because of the timing, we saved ourselves a ton of money in that we didn't have our insurance policy locked in yet and paid for when everything shut down. So we didn't have to eat that. And fortunately, we have, we have 
you know, a, a good contract, a very good working relationship with the convention center. And they honored the force majeure clause in the contract, which was something I had to learn. I never knew what that was. And I remember seeing, we're reading through the contract the first time and I'm like, what is this force majeure? I don't like this. They can cancel on me for anything. And that's the way my brain originally deciphered that. And then it ended up saving our butts because COVID came through. It shut everything down and the convention center and management and us gladly agreed. Let's invoke force majeure and let's reschedule for, for the next year and hope for the best. And it worked. So yeah, lots of hard lessons about like managing things. It's not, it's absolutely not the same as what we had started out doing, putting on a fire hall show or a game shop show where you make a handshake agreement and then you have a couple of people show up and you charge $5 a head. Yeah. It's more complicated, but it's, it's a rush. It's, it's exciting. It's, it's, you know, you're kind of flying by the seat of your pants and you're like, wow, Facebook isn't working anymore. Uh, they don't want to give us exposure on anything. So what can we do instead? And then Alex gets the bright idea. Well, let's listen to everybody. Let's start a TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) Got to chase down whatever you can. I, uh, I like hearing the, the fire hall show as an example though, because it went from being, um, I come from a business background. So I'm like, I'm going to jump in with these guys and absolutely ruin my life starting a convention with them. Let's, you know, let's go. So whenever I was talking to them and I could, I kind of see the, the vibe that they had and see how excited that they were and enthusiastic that they were about developing a community and developing a place for the community to play. And I'm like, okay, we can scale that enthusiasm. And, and like, like, kind of like how Brian described it, we could take that, that punk rock mentality and kind of keep it being a, at the end of the day, it's still just a crummy swap meet. And it's my favorite kind of swap meet because it's where I find all my favorite treasures. And we took that logic and said, how can we turn that into a full convention? And we did. We've we've we and we got lucky. We and everything is serendipity when it comes to this world. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, We had good people working in our corner. We had good like the convention center was very cool to work with us. Uh, Our vendors were very cool to let us push them out a year to the new show dates. Uh, So I want to say seriously, I want to throw it back to the community as a whole for kind of helping us propel the show forward. But then taking that idea of a swap meet that was just this kind of like hangout place and migrating it into a show was was one of the neatest concepts I think we've ever tackled. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't I can't agree with you enough on that, Alex. So like the community of everything that we went through and all, all the issues that we encountered, we had one credit card chargeback on all the pre-purchase admissions. One person out of everyone that attended the show or had prepaid pre-pandemic and allowed us to roll their deposits on the show over. That's huge. I mean, that could have chargebacks alone could have annihilated the show. And the community was like, no, we want this. We're going to stick this, stick in it with you. We're there with you. That's really cool. Yeah, it was, it was really humbling. Uh, and it's part of the reason that I'm, I'm desperate to continue to make sure that the show stays rad for everybody. Yeah. It's curious. Now, so you guys, you had said, you know, this originally started as like a meetup at, at you know local game shop did you do like you were mentioning some so to speak fire hall shows as well and then decide okay we're going to take the next step or so funny story so we started with the game shop shows and they were they were pittsburgh retro gaming and we started off that way and after we did the first one at phil's shop on babcock boulevard 
Game Masters. Shout out, shout out to Phil at Game Masters. That place is awesome. Yeah, every opportunity I get to give Phil a shout out, I will give Phil a shout out. <laughs> Even though he doesn't say nice things about me in person, I know he loves us. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, we had our first show there. And then we had some other local business owners who were at that event. And they kind of like Alex, you know, said we didn't know Alex yet. Um, Alex wasn't on our radar at all. Um, but they approached us and said, Hey, we want you to do the same thing at our place. So we did. And, you know, it's also important to note when we did the first meetup at Phil's, the f- I, I should preface this as saying it was the first successful meetup because the actual first meetup we did at Phil's, we did for free and nobody came. <laughs> so a year later, we decided, you know, let's do this again, but let's charge everybody $5 for our time. And, that show went off of gang, like gangbusters, so much so that Phil kicked us out and said, you're never welcome back because there's too many of you and I can't accommodate all of you. I know he'd like that group back now at his new larger location, but unfortunately, our group now will not fit his current location. Uh, but uh, yeah, so we we did this pattern of like finding local businesses that we could partner with and come up with a mutually beneficial arrangement where we could generate a little bit of revenue and they could generate a little revenue and exposure. And we kept doing that. And then there was a period of time where we partnered with another entity and we gave two cracks at this show called Pittsburgh Retro Gaming Con. And for better or worse, it didn't work out. But we learned a whole, whole lot. And that's when we met Alex. And we decided that we were going to kind of go back to our roots and we were going to do this show called PRGX, which was a Elks Lodge show that we did along the way. And we're like, you know, we're going to go back to that, that concept of like music and kind of being gritty and, you know, punk rock. And we actually had where we were, we were just about to book with the Garden City Hall in Monroeville, right across the street from Alex's shop, actually, uh, or across the parking lot before you moved. And we did a different podcast. We we were looking at that site, and so it was going to very much be a fire hall show. And we did a podcast with a friend of ours, name's Brian Sykes. We did his show, and we just kind of talked about all things gaming, you know, and we didn't really have a show at the time, so we weren't really talking about the show. We were talking about the community and some of our experiences of running thing shows, but not promoting anything really. And through the grapevine that is Pittsburgh, you know, the six degrees of Yinzer, as I like <laughs> to call it. Um, and I say that with the utmost love, because I am absolutely one of them. Somehow the GM at the Minerva convention center caught wind of us and reached out to us through one of his employees who is now a good friend of ours. And he said, Hey, the GM would like to talk to you guys about doing a show at the convention center. And we're like, yeah, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. This is, this is somebody pulling our leg. Uh, you know, it's not possible because we had some bucket list venues that we wanted to look at. And the convention center was one. And then the Sheridan station square was another. And obviously the David L. Lawrence downtown. Yeah, those were venues that were very high on our get list, but we also thought were like years away. So I can't go into any of the details of what the arrangements are or whatnot, but let's just say after we sat down with the convention center and we talked with Mike out there, he's like, we'll make this work. You know, you guys will be able to afford this. If you listen to me, take my advice, 
I think what you guys are doing so far is on the right track and we can make this work. And so we said, okay, let's do it. And that's how we ended up at the Monroeville Convention Center with an actual convention for all intents and purposes uh, with a bunch of guests uh, that we never thought we would have that are coming from all across the country to be at this convention. So it's, it's been a pretty wild ride. Well, that's cool. That's really cool. So like, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to say, you know, like, cause the generic question, you know, well, how many hours worth of work do you put into this? And I'm sure one, it's an absurd number. And two, you probably don't have an actual one, but well, like, let's just say all of our significant others really, really love us. And really like being rid of us for long hours of the day while we're at respective jobs and then putting in hours doing this sort of thing. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, it's it's a full-time job. All, absolutely. I mean, on top of all of our careers, it's absolutely something. If you're not willing to work at all hours and plug things out, it just doesn't get done. Like when we wrap up with you guys today, Alex and I are diving into show prep. Um, and we're going to be working on stuff because that's just how it works. Lots of conversations um, at weird hours, at random times, talking to bands, talking to exhibitors, talking to you know podcasters, uh, and just kind of making it all work. And not doing it for us anyway, not doing it in a way that feels very dry and corporate. Because I don't know that we know how to do that. And if we did it that way, I think it would come off as ingenuine uh, or disingenuous, I guess would be the proper word. Um, so yeah, just lots and lots of hours. Like Alex is a machine. I, I'll wake up in the morning. I start my days at 4.30 in the morning. I'll wake up at 4.30 in the morning and I'll see our Discord log of all the things that Alex has churned out <laughs> in the day or over the night while I was sleeping. I was like, dude, you need to sleep. You weaponized know, but... my insomnia <laughs> <laughs> sounds like what happens between steve and i because we tend to keep opposite hours yeah. so one of us will get all this brainstorm and the other one wakes up and there's like 73 messages for them <laughs> oh, by the way i redesigned our logo and also here's our thing that's exactly wow, that what i sound like exactly like alex yes <laughs> adhd mixed with insomnia and a little bit of coffee goes a long way it's the ADHD and the ADHD medication keeping me up all night. I'm trying to knock it all out. <laughs> so, okay, just because it seems like a, a related question. Let's say, you know, because we have listeners all over the country, all over the world. Yeah. Let's say you wanted to, to put on your own little, and we'll just call it, you know, like a, a fire hall convention, you know, or a small banquet hall or, or whatever. You know, is that something like... How big of a job is that for someone to actually just decide to do? Uh, so before we even started doing game shop shows, we the first step is you have to find something you can synergize a community around. And then you have to have a community that you've synergized that actually wants to see each other. That's the biggest first step. Unless you have a lot of money, you can't just pop out of the ether and say, hey, I'm going to do this thing because it's such a heavy lift to do that part of the you know the the secret to our i guess you would say success thus far is that we have a very passionate community that we've curated and built over oh i mean how many years is it now we started in years yeah we we founded pittsburgh retro gaming in 2000 
2014. Oh, wow. Um, and we've been building from there. And we don't, we did not have our first actual meetup. I do I, a successful meetup 2016, I believe. So it took two years for us to get to a point where we were like, okay, this, uh, this is how we actually do this thing and then go from there. So there's a lot of grind. Uh, so that's probably like the hardest part of it. Now you can probably accelerate past a lot of that if you have the capital to do it, but that's not ever been our experience. Uh, we aren't anybody, we, we are not individuals who are independently wealthy. We don't have a lot of money behind us. Uh, two of us aren't even video game or tabletop gaming insiders professionally. Uh, Alex is the closest to an insider we have and not to knock you, Alex, but it's, you know, as a, a local shop owner. So, yeah. you know, it's not, not the same as like having somebody who's been with a company we were talking about earlier. Modifius or Free League or Watsy, you know, uh, it's, it's, you don't have that leverage and that reach. You're, you're really going to spend a lot of time kind of scraping and clawing and leveraging your relationships that you build through the course of that experience to make the thing happen. So it is a lot of work. It, I, I don't want to tell anybody it's easy. And I definitely don't want to tell anybody that they should absolutely blindly do it because I think we would all say, what are we doing to ourselves? <laughs> I, I tell anybody that uh, it's all everything that I, that we do with this stuff is 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 nonsense, sweat equity and just pavement pounding. At the end of the day, it's just glad handing and talking to people and hoping yeah. that they want to hear from you uh, and hoping that you can give them something and they can give you something. And it's all bartering and pleading and, you know, hoping for the best. And uh what's nice about that is, is you do start to develop a community around it uh, given enough time. Eventually people see the work you're putting in, they see the efforts you're putting in. And then they're like, well, Hey, we want to support that too. It seems like a good, seems like a good thing for the community. And then it starts to just kind of, kind of coalesce into this awesome group of people that are really doing some fun stuff. Yeah. And there are shows out there that are massive that have started out similar. We've recently, you know, connected with a show out East called too many games uh, it's a massive show and it's been around for, they've been doing their show in a sh like in a convention format, I think since 2014, but their show started out very much the way ours did. It was a fire hall show for lack of a better term and maybe a couple hundred attendees and they just kept building and building and building. And if you stay true to the people who are in your corner and who are in your community and you treat them well and you foster a positive environment where people can talk and engage and e even have passionate disagreements. It's, it's just going to, it keeps building upon itself. So it becomes it, it, you know, bigger than what you can manage. So you got to have some people in your corner who you can rely on and trust. I mean, I consider Alex and Colt family at this point. Um, and, you know, we talk about things very personal and, you know, we goof around and we have arguments and all that. But at the end of the oh, day, yeah. oh, I mean, some of the arguments that we have behind the scenes are like, you know, they are what they are. But you can have them because there's a, a high level of trust. If you don't have a team like that, that you can build upon, it's going to be very difficult because from there you have to build out to the, the next echelon, your volunteers who run your discord 
you know, every day for you, who moderate your social media for you, who are keep their ears to the ground of like things that are coming your way or trends or maybe what something, you know, something that you completely missed. Like we were very resistant for a long time to the TikTok thing. And we had people appeal, you need to do TikTok, you need to do TikTok. And I'm like, I'm an old man. I don't want to like, I, what, what's this talk tick thing? Like, I don't, I don't want to do it. Uh, but they keep you grounded and, you know, they keep your eyes open. So I, again, it just comes back to like, yeah, community. You have to, you have to have a strong foundational community you can build off of. Cause at the end of the day, that's who's coming to your show. Mm-hmm. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the TikTok conference, well, all of it, but the TikTok conversation in particular. Yeah. And the, <laughs> having a strong community. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that really is. I mean, that's, you know, you know, the thing that we found is, you know, the the people that show up on the Discord from, from everywhere, and some of them are old friends that, yeah, you know, I played with years and years ago. Some of them are, are literally people, you know, I know from other Discords. Some of them are just people who found the show and found our discord and it, it's this wonderful mix of people who have this shared passion and you just all get together and talk about it i think we keep kind of having a situation where we where technology will continue to like thrust forward when it comes to whether it's social media whether it comes to whatever is stimulating our brains at the time but i think we all have this innate need to return to these like terrestrial communities and we still kind of end up either we've always done it since IRC was a thing, since Usenet groups were a thing back in the day. And we all kind of start to come back on the things we love and building a community around the things we can all kind of enjoy. And I find that Discord and all of these places still kind of represent the same idea. We all want to get together and be geeks about stuff. It doesn't matter where it is, whether it's a bunch of old dudes on a porch talking about sports or whether it's it's us in here having a conversation about a geeky convention or when we go to the shows and there's a, a, a bunch of fellow nerds, me included, arguing about what new, you know, what new video game is coming out. It seems like that we all have this desire to just kind of always build a community around stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I find Discord to be the funniest one because it's like as much as like Reddit was Discord is becoming more and more like those bulletin boards back in the day. Yeah, which I mean, ironically, you know, that's I spent a lot of time on some of the old bulletin board servers, even back. Is in that the, why you take to Discord so easily? Probably. I mean, I'm going back even to like the ASCII-based bulletin boards. Yeah. You know, not not the V bulletin and PHPBB and all that, but I spent a lot of time on those too. I was a mud player and a Usenet user back in my early preteen days, so it's probably uh, equally showing my age on that yeah. one. Well, I played mud quite a bit in college so oh yep never mind i'm uh, i'm a whippersnapper again <laughs> everywhere <laughs> i go <laughs> well you know it, 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 that's the other thing like okay within this you know like steve and i are what are we about seven 15 17 years apart age roughly yeah you know i mean but this is a thing you know we connect very strongly on actually a lot of things we're strangely alike for for being as far apart as we are in age but i'm a young man and with an old soul it's weird <laughs> but yeah it, it does it crosses those those gaps of you know all kinds of things because and and i think and and tell me if you guys have experienced this in this if you want to call it this nerd culture we like that we're different and not everyone likes what we like, but we want to know that there are other people who like what we like too. 
Oh yeah. That's a huge thing. You, you, you have a constant degree of, I, you will never find a group so passionate about anything geek as geeks. Uh, they will fight about minutia because they like the same thing already. So there, there, there always has to be, we bridge those gaps, but we still need to have this urge to be geeky about stuff, uh, no matter what. And even if it's like, especially with gaming, you know, it could be something you're geeky about or, you know, gaming, but you've never experienced it. But to, when you're exposed to somebody who's ultra super passionate about that, that gaming, you know, category, and they just gush about it. And you could sit there and listen to me. Like, I have no clue what you just talked about, but I know it's awesome. And you just listen to it. I did that at the last, after we you know, recorded the last podcast, we were on myself and Sean, the, the, the gentleman who introduced us to the, the MCC. We went down this rabbit hole about tabletop gaming, uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, particularly. And the two other individuals in the room had have absolutely no reference for what anything tabletop gaming it was like we were speaking a foreign language to them and they just kind of sat there in like odd silence because they still understood like at its core it was gaming you know and, and that's pretty pretty awesome oh no I, I completely understand that like you know when you guys were really kind of nerding out on video games before we started recording and i'm i just because of lifetime etc have kind of fallen out of video games in general i still dabble with some of my old stuff but it's just not what i do primarily but like i can hear you guys talking about it and how much you know the, the passion and the just the the love you have for it and it was it's it yeah it's a neat neat thing to i know what you're saying i don't know well and there's so much cross-pollination you know there, there's a ton of cross-pollination like i my old grognard thing that i love to do is whenever i meet people at these at the convention who are like oh i love these rpgs i'm like you know that all started with tabletop RPGs, right yeah <laughs> just kind of like you know be a an old curmudgeon about it but not a gatekeeper you know but do mm -hmm. it in a way where it's like oh wait what are you talking about What's, what do you mean like that's where it started that's exactly how I conned Steve and I conned a group of people into playing Cyberpunk 2020. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, hey, you know that Cyberpunk 2077 game that's coming out? You all want to play the thing that it's based on? That's how I got my entire current tabletop group playing tabletop RPGs, period. None of them had any experience with it. They're all involved in the show in some way, shape, or form. One of them is my wife and three of them are my kids. But then there's three other adults who sit at my table. And their gateway to tabletop rpgs was through the prg with video games and i said well you know what you want to do something that's a little more social than playing final fantasy for the umpteenth time i got something for you where it started <laughs> when you talk about that bridging aspect of it it's it's kind of true even in most ways though like uh, even the the bridging from video games talking about like yeah you you liked your your old video games and we were we were gushing about the new stuff but at the end of the day, we all kind of have that same vibe where it's like, well, we love to play stuff, though. We love to play this thing. And I'm finding that there's this 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 constant through trend of the games that we like. They still kind of always exist. Uh, so like you were, um, what's the new one I'm playing now? It's it's uh, it's called Triangle Strategy, and it's based a lot on the same style as the old Final Fantasy Tactics stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm finding that there's a bridge between retro. There's a bridge between modern. Uh, same with D&D. &D. Uh, you can terrify all of the kids who started with, you know, fifth edition. Uh, and start horrifying them with things like Thacko and and playing like Hackmaster spinoffs and all of that crazy stuff that Old they don't understand today. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
Hey kids, you like charts? I got Rollmaster. <laughs> Check out this crit table. <laughs> 16 and, pages. And, and that's an interesting point that you bring up, Alex, too, because like one thing that we're seeing, like we've arrived at a point in video games where the number of pixels on the screen or polygons or any of that's it's all kind of irrelevant. Like 16-bit graphics is no longer a consideration of technical limitation. It's a art style it's a medium some people work in water paints others work in acrylics some work in oils it's the same thing with video games some people work in 3d rendering other people work in you know sprites and pixels and we're actually i think in a way we're seeing the same thing happen in the tabletop arena where we've had this massive progression of like how do we modernize the biggest entity in the room the one you know the biggest brand in the room and they keep modernizing and in the fourth generation of it it really resembled massive multiplayer mmos and now we've moved beyond that and now you're seeing a resurgence in the osr so it's not that oh well we just have this system right we just have the i have it sitting in front of me here the original or the the ad and d dungeon masters guide that's all we know so that's what we play until something new comes out now it's like this broad canvas of, well, you know what? I don't really care for superhero medieval fantasy. I want to play something grittier. So let's play some Mork Orc or let's play some OSR stuff. And in the, that way, the two hobbies are very similar. Or I'm just ranting, you know, in, you no, know you're aimlessly you're spot on. <laughs> it's the phrase every everything old is new again. And I think that applies incredibly well to video games and to tabletop. I was reading a fifth edition uh, total conversion for keep on the borderlands. (laughs) And I'm like, this is incredible. Yeah. The Goodman books I'm running castle Amber right now. And it's amazing because it's like, it's kind of like the, all the, all the best parts of modern of the modern system, but with like all the horror inducing paranoia of like, you just, sometimes you just roll and die. And it's the same idea, too, in video games. Like, we got uh, the, one of the biggest games that came out in the past few weeks was uh, this new uh, Ninja Turtles game that's literally a send up of the old 16 bit brawlers. It feels exactly like a game that I played back in 96 called Turtles in Time. And it has the same vibe as an old arcade beat em up. And it's one of the hypest games that they have out right now. It's Man, just that neat game to... just kind of came out of nowhere, didn't it? It did, and it was incredible, and I, I couldn't believe how much it made me feel like a kid again. Yeah, what is that? It's Shredder's Revenge or whatever. Yeah, Shredder's called. Revenge yeah. is awesome. Yeah, I, I I was watching what was it? Whatever Bethesda or whatever one they were announced that at. They're like, yeah. By the way, Shredder's Revenge is coming out uh, tomorrow. <laughs> like what? <laughs> All right. I, like I remember it's an old game now, but I remember when the Nintendo DS came out. And I was sitting in my little cubicle office in my college job, and the guy sitting next to me pulled out his Nintendo DS light, and he's like, "Hey, you need to check out New Super Mario Brothers." I'm like, I, "I, dude, I haven't liked the Super Mario Brothers game since Super Mario World. Yeah, I, I'm not interested." He goes, "Dude, just try it." And just like Alex said, I started playing that, and I felt like a kid again because it was everything I loved about Super Mario World, but with a fresh coat of paint and some refinement in this neat little handheld package. And it was so impactful on me that like, even though I had meager funds cause I was a broke college kid, I went out and I bought a Nintendo DS Lite and new super Mario brothers 
and fell in love with handheld gaming all over again as if like i had my game boy for the first time it was pretty pretty cool yeah not to go off on another rabbit hole but we were talking about uh what are lovingly referred to as boomer shooters and i got back into that i loved playing doom like when i was younger and what got me back into the boomer shooters was doom 2016 like oh it's so good i played it and i was like this i need more of this and immediately went out and was like what what other games like what other game modern games feel like this and there's a ton of them oh yeah octopath traveler i'm a yeah. i'm a sucker for final fantasy 6 it's my favorite game you know up there with chrono trigger those two games encapsulate everything in the jrpg aesthetic that I love the pixel animation the music everything and i've been yearning for that to be that experience to be replicated and octopath traveler came so close and in every way graphically and audibly you know audibly it it nailed it but with something a little extra mixed in there Mm -hmm. and it's it's like painting an oil or watercolor it really is it's like okay this is the the medium we're going to use to tell this story now and i think i would agree that might be part of the reason why we don't have console wars anymore (laughs) you know because it's not about the specs as much you could do the same thing on a laptop now that you could do on the on the cutting edge home console. Well, I think, you know, there's there's you know, a lot of the stuff you guys have mentioned. I think two other factors that play into this though is one, the amount of cross-pollination in the design world between video games and RPGs. You know, before we were talking or before we started recording, you know, I mentioned to you guys that Sandy Peterson of Call of Cthulhu fame also worked on Doom and Quake and 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 those games. Mike Pondsmith worked at Microsoft for a while, I believe it was on the Ultima series. You have people like Bruce Naismith, who I know, Alex, you said you listened to our interview with him earlier today, who, you know, actually got his start in gaming at TSR and then, you know, bounced back and forth between the video game and RPG worlds a little bit, although he's much more well-known for video game stuff. You have people like, um, oh, Gerald uh, Klug or Gerald Klug, who originally started as a game, you know, tabletop designer has done a lot of work in video games over the years. He's not as well known, but he was the original designer for the James Bond 007 RPG. We've had an awesome benefit of cross-pollination from tabletop to video games for a long time, though. You got to figure we had uh, back in the old in the 2.0 days, we ended up getting Baldur's Gate and then we ended up getting uh, sort of worlds like that. But then, like, there were other places where there would be cross-pollination that wasn't so obvious, like the uh, the Knights of the Old Republic game that Bioware had put out was based on the uh, the D20 system, like kind of like the second edition of, of the D20 Star Wars game, uh, built was kind of like the mechanical building blocks for, for, for KOTOR, uh, the Knights of the Old Republic game. And even more recently, I know it was it was something of a rocky launch, but you bring up uh, Pondsmith. The video game Cyberpunk 2077 is a direct sequel to the lore and world established in Cyberpunk 2020. That was, what was that, early 90s, late 80s that that was originally written? 89, I think 2020 came out. First edition, yep. And whether or not you adore Cyberpunk 2077, I know it was a bit of a, of a crazy launch. It was very much built on the foundation of that tabletop role-playing game. Uh, mm-hmm. Even, I mean, the story to a huge degree. And uh, I loved the game. I thought it was amazing. And it it, it was nice because it if you pre-ordered the game, you got an, a copy of the book. And if you like a digital copy of the book and if you enjoyed the game, you could go back and, and play with your friends. Like I'm I'm currently in a cyberpunk red campaign that is currently set during, you know, right after the fourth corporate war, which mm-hmm. is 
an incredibly weird deep cut story from the 2020 lore if you've only played the video game. So it's really neat to kind of see how how those two worlds can kind of build into each other and and represent something of a of a synergy between playing at the tabletop and playing on your TV. And you can kind of get the vibe from either the same way, which is just awesome. Well, and you have, you know, uh, Pondsmith's company, Artel Sorian, also produces, although his son Cody, I believe, did most of the work on it. They produced the uh, the Witcher tabletop Witcher RPG. Yep, I have a copy of that too. I love it. I'm a huge Witcher fan, actually. That's probably my favorite game series. You know, and so, yeah, it, it's gone back and forth. But I think the other factor that, that plays into this, and, and this maybe even to a greater extent, is that, you know, most people get into gaming as kids, you know, mm-hmm. video games, whatever. Well, because of when video gaming developed, you know, we're at, in the era now where we're the, the, the people who were around when it really kind of fired off in, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, you know, and I know it started before that, but a lot of us kept gaming, you know, and the same with TTRPGs, you know, it started in the seventies, but a lot of people kept playing. And so now you have, you know, like you were mentioning about the OSR and, but you have, you know, it's, it's not just for kids anymore, so to speak, I guess is what they say. Yeah. It started as kids, but we just kept doing it as we grew up. So we went from, you know, I remember playing, I remember playing advanced dungeons and dragons and being just blown away at the concept of escapism, uh, of talking about what I was doing. I was like 12 when I think I played my first D and D game and it, it absolutely blew my mind. Just the whole concept of it. Oh, we roll the dice. Uh, this is based on wargaming and that wargaming stuff. That's for nerds. I've never got into that, but then I'm, you know, I'm playing Zelda and I'm playing Final Fantasy. And then you suddenly realize, oh, I see what happened. They all, you know, an old, an old D&D player uh, decided to make a video game. And then here we are. Oh, mm-hmm. turns, turn-based rounds. Huh? Yeah. Feel familiar. Yeah. And like, you're like, oh, wait a second. So then it go, you go back to it and you're like, oh, so wargaming, that's real cool. You go back and you're like, oh, polyhedric dice. These are really cool. And then all of a sudden you, uh, you've sunk thousands of dollars and thousands of hours of your life into a hobby that you'll never get back. <laughs> I have, a, I, I, I have a black light that I bought specifically to cast onto my dice tray so mm-hmm. that my, my dice fluoresce while I'm playing like the rabbit hole is ridiculous. The amount of things that I've spent money on for a game that really can be played with a pencil, a paper, your imagination and six dice. If you figure it, we, we, we took, we, we started spending money on giving a place for other people to play them out of the same level of like, I don't know, maybe I hit my head or something as a kid, but we've decided that that hobby that we shared, we're going to force it on everyone else (laughs) and make it their problem too. I know the feeling. (laughs) I mean, my kids, my kids play in one tabletop game a week between either my house or game masters. They play in one game. a week. When I was a kid, I would have, my, my head would have exploded. If you would have told me that the hobby would have grown to the point that I could have played weekly and with different people. There was a point shortly after we started the podcast where I was looking at running and playing in three different games. And I was thinking back to like, man, high school me would have been like, what the hell is wrong with you? I I did that this (laughs) summer. I played in I played, I ran two games. I ran my castle Amber game. I ran a sunless Citadel game, which I'm still running. And I played in an OSR game on Thursdays. And I almost hit my breaking point. 
<laughs> you guys, okay. you guys have time to play. How do you have time for that? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's Sleep low, three hours a week. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, it was, but yeah, no, I, I, it's cool, man. It's cool. I don't know what else to say. I tell you what, young me would have been surprised as heck at how popular it is these days. Because when I was a kid, I, I was not very cool for playing this sort of stuff, and now <laughs> it is the it is the cultural phenomenon of the eighties all over again, except you know less panic for yeah. sure, for sure. Yeah. like my group that i played with as a kid when we all found out that we were into it it was kind of like you entrusted these people with this moment of vulnerability <laughs> that very well could have gotten you an atomic wedgie and chased out of school if anybody had found out about it and we were at a i think it was like a church festival and oh <laughs> right we, we had all we had all moved on from the, the grade school that we were in. And it was the first time we were all kind of getting back together. And it was an accident. We weren't planning on getting together. And we're at the St. Teresa's of Villa um, Church Festival. And <laughs> we're just talking like, you know, freshmen in high school will do. And they mentioned, hey, we're getting together. You know, a couple of them still kept in touch because they were still in the same school district. And they're like, hey, we're, we're getting together. You know, you want to come and hang out? I'm like, yeah, cool. What are we going to do? And they all kind of looked at each other because I was you know, one of the odd ones out. They didn't know that I was to do it. And like, we're going to play Dungeons and Dragons. I was like, no way. Like, you know, there's a wincing way. glance. Like they've said something yeah. horrible. Like they <laughs> exactly. told themselves. Exactly. And these are, these, these were people that I had known since first grade. And now we were, you know, in ninth grade and they're telling me this. Little did they know that with a couple of kids, cause we all went to private school the couple of kids from my neighborhood, I had been playing the Dragon Strike board game with and uh, Dragon Quest and Hero Quest and Battlemaster. Mm -hmm. And we've been playing all this stuff. And then, you know, our lives got busy, so it all fell apart. So I had nobody to play with. And here I fall into this group who I'd known my whole life pretty much and never knew that they played. And we went on for three years through high school. And we were all slightly different grades, uh, the, the people that ended up being in this group. So it held together for about three years until people started going to college. But we would meet once a month and we would have an epic weekend, almost like the convention where it would start on Friday night and we would hang out the entire weekend until Sunday evening. And then we would all go home, but we would play Friday night, all night, crash, wake up Saturday morning, get breakfast you know, hang out, play video games, play N64, PlayStation, and then we would play again all night. And then we'd wake up Sunday morning and go to the Wildwood Highlands flea market and buy a bunch of pointy things that we probably had no business owning. Um, <laughs> and then we'd all go home and we would do it every month. And it was amazing. And then it, it, it all ended when we started going to college. And that, that led to my hiatus with tabletop. And I hadn't played in a long, long time. And the, the, the idea that this whole thing got like the stranger things and crit roll and what they've done for the hobby, whether you yeah. like them or not, it's been a great gateway drug for people who are looking to play, you know, who would have never given it the time of day or never considered it. And yeah, like Alex said earlier, nine-year-old, seven-year-old Brian, his head would have exploded. If you would have told me that not only are you, is this pop hobby going to become popular enough that there's going to be TV shows about it 
but that you're going to run a gaming convention that it's a large cornerstone of and that your kids are going to play it younger than you did and excitedly and their their friends are going to ask to come and play in their dad's game and then they're going to get the pleasure of telling them no sorry <laughs> the fact that a group can be full on tabletop is amazing the amount of people i've had to turn away just even gming games is like this would have never happened to me as a child i was desperate no. to claw people together yeah my my game my game at game masters is full I'm, i have to turn people away i had a surreal moment the other day i was see like a year ago so my significant other other's brother he's he's about 15 he's playing football and all this stuff and i i was joking around with him one day because he's asking me about what i play and all this stuff and i'm like yeah i play video games but i play a lot of tabletop games he's like well what like D?" I said yeah he goes okay yeah no i don't have any friends that are nerdy like that well then he hit high school last year and <laughs> he comes to me this past like past couple months and he goes hey i need a favor <laughs> i'm like what do you need bud he goes I need you to teach me how to play Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Like everybody on the football team is playing Dungeons and Dragons. I need to learn how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, all right. That's cool. I love the I social love the shit that happens. It was just funny because like, you know, a year ago we had a conversation. He's like, no, nah, I don't think nah, none of my friends will get into it. And then now he's like, uh, I need you to teach me how to do this. Well, even like now, like our age, mm-hmm. it's finding out that I have coworkers who are into oh, yeah. it mm-hmm. and none of them will admit it openly. But then once they find out that you're into it, you're like their new favorite person. So one thing I've got to give a little bit of credit to the newer, to the younger generations for, they will take whatever flag and they will fly it. And so, you know, if they're playing D and D they've got their, they've got their, their D and D logo shirts on. They're announcing how nerdy mm-hmm. they are. I, mm-hmm. I wish we, I wish we would have had those, those indicators a little better when we were children. We might've known you know, the merch we could have bought. <laughs> right? Yeah. Movies we could have seen. Just weren't, yeah, graphic yeah. tees just weren't quite as prevalent in our... No, you had to know somebody or, or have it custom printed. Or have iron-ons. It was yeah, the iron-ons. easy approach to enjoying games. Oh, man. Yeah. No, um... What's the password? Yeah, I have adult friends now that come up to me. I had it happen the other day as well. I had an adult friend come up to me and be like, I, uh, I, I want to get into this. How do I get into this? I'm like, well, good news, bad news. <laughs> good news is now's the perfect time to get into it. Bad news is I don't have any open games to show you. Uh, See, now you can tell them, but I do know a convention coming up where you yeah, can learn exactly. to play. Yeah. Do we have any more questions from uh, patrons? No, no, we don't. All right. Well, then with that, I think it's time we move into the next segment of the podcast. Well, wait a I minute, wait we... a minute. Oh. Where can people find out more about PGX and Pittsburgh Retro Gaming and all that other, you know, social media stuff and all that fun stuff for you guys? Alex, I'll let you handle that one. All right. Uh, so if you are looking for us, you can uh, you can find out about Pittsburgh Gaming Expo at uh, www.pittsburghgamingexpo.com uh, or you can type in pghretrogaming.com. You can find us on TikTok, Instagram, the social media kind of. Uh, you know, the usual suspects of social media. We have, as you've heard, recently started a TikTok that we're trying to figure out, like a bunch of old men uh, who have never touched a cell phone before. But yeah, your best place to find out about us seriously is uh, is check out PittsburghGamingExpo.com. It has all the information. We're working on finalizing the scheduling. Uh, and if you're interested in the show, we actually have a Pittsburgh Gaming Expo app 
that you can download on your smartphone and it will start to fill in scheduling and all the neat stuff that we're going to have at the show too. If you want to, uh, to kind of start getting an idea for that, it's, it's a little empty right now, but in the next weeks it should start coming and being filled up a little bit too. So Very just cool. be patient. We're a small team local, like we'd said earlier. So it takes a little bit longer to get some of that information populated, but there is a ton of it. And once it starts coming, you're going to feel like you're drinking from the fire. Hose. Very yeah. cool. All right, Steve. Is it time now? Yep. It's time for Game of the Week. Woohoo! Game of the Week! Game of the Week! Game of the Week! All right. We filled you guys in a little bit on how this works. Just a quick refresher. You pick a game you like, that you're interested in, that you've played, that, you know, just even if you're tangentially interested in, you give it a little shout out. One of us can go first, or if you guys have a pretty solid grasp on this, you can go. It's up to you. No, let's, I, hear I, you, I, let's hear you guys. I, I'm, yeah, I'm a bit foolish. All right, that's fine. Steve, you want to rock, paper, scissors, or how you want to do this? I've, I've got one if you want me to go. Go for it. All right, so my game of the week this week is going to be one, and I literally found this when I opened drive through today. It's a game called Archives of the Sky, and it's uh, it actually won a Judge's Spotlight Any Award in 2019, but this is a, a kind of a neat a sci-fi game, but it's neat in that it's GMless. And oh, nice. I think even, you know, it, it, it's very much just a storytelling game. You know, there's not really dice involved, uh, that kind of thing. Um, it says it has, you create a deck of words from like your favorite sci-fi novels and you draw from it when you need inspiration or like a, a random out, outcome, you know, stuff like that. But where I think it could be really neat is that it, you could use it as a world building tool for a game you're going to play in you know a more robust system you know because it it says you know epic sci-fi stories on a grand scale in a galaxy you create at the table you know so it it seems like it's it's very much kind of a storytelling prompt thing and i think it you know obviously could be very very fun on its own but like i said i i see this as as possibly a really really cool tool if you want to create a custom sci-fi world and then play in it with your sci-fi game of choice Again, that's called uh, Archives in the Sky, and uh, the PDF on DriveThru will set you back all of about 13 bucks. Very cool. cool. Archives of the Sky. Yep. Sounds rad. Well, do you want me to go, or would somebody like to go next? Um, I'll take a shot. I think okay. I'm ready. All right. All right, I'm a little new to this, but uh, my game of the week is Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion. Ooh, that's a, uh, that's a B-style game. I looked at this and... Walked right past it. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is a Zelda-like uh, adventure game where you. Uh, it's a little bit modernized, but it's a it's a Zelda-like adventure game where you play a turnip who has been accused by the mayor of his local village of committing tax evasion, and you uh, you need to 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 solve a bunch of problems for a bunch of people throughout the town to kind of to to get your your greenhouse back. <laughs> this sounds cool. It's a it's a multi-platform video game. Uh, it's on all the modern consoles and computers. It looks very very uh it looks very interesting actually. Yeah, I, I'm gonna check this out again. I'll throw that on my Switch because I've been looking for a Switch game. Be a good one. Well, that's cool. All right, so we have sci-fi, we have turnips. Who's next? I'll bat it back across the net over you guys. Okay, I'll go. Um, I'm gonna cross the bridge a little bit. So you picked video game. I'm gonna pick an RPG based on a video game. I have in front of me, the only thing that exists of it as of right now, but soon to be the full game, Hyperlight Drifter, the basic rules. 
This Ooh. is free on Drive-Thru RPG. This is the tabletop RPG version of Hyperlight Drifter, the video game. Oh, wow, I didn't so, know that existed. Yeah, I didn't either. It came out apparently May 11th of this last year. Or it was updated May 11th of this last year. It was originally added uh, 2021. But yeah, it is a, like I said, RPG version of the very awesome, very visually stunning RP or very visually stunning video game, Hyperlight Drifter. And what a soundtrack to boot. Yeah. And you could throw that on in the background and yeah. And that is all of free 99. So the basic rules come with a bunch of bunch of documents and everything that you need to play that. It is absolutely free. Definitely something to check out. I'm already aggressively Googling. I just purchased for free 99. (laughs) I can throw a link for you in the keep an eye on the green room channel. There you go. Got it. Perfect. Well, that was really productive. (laughs) Yeah. See, so your earlier comment in the green room was wrong. This has not been bad for my wallet, even though it was bad for my wallet for, you know, the Blade Runner Runner Kickstarter. Well, no, no, I mean, just in general, not like specifically tonight. Yeah, yeah because it, yeah, this time it's three ninety nine. Next time it's you know, and then it all starts adding up. It's yep. free. I don't want to think about the amount of money I have invested in the piles of books sitting around me right now. I, it's best not to, honestly. I calculated once and didn't like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I have the same problem. Innumerable number of tabletop books for systems that I have yet to play. I'm gonna cry if my hard drive. Ever- <laughs> Yeah, I get that that's feeling. Why, that's why I always duplicate the cloud storage. <laughs> I don't want to pay for Google. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> I've waited. Okay. <laughs> My turn, I suppose. So I'm going to go. I have a bunch of different games that pop into mind, but I'm going to go more PGX style this time. And this is kind of why, it intrig- why it's intrigued me. Um, and it's a system. It's a tabletop RPG system called EZD6 by Runehammer Games. It's published, or it's written by DM Scotty, who has a website called The Quest Giver. And I found out about this system through a couple of YouTube personalities that I follow. But really, what really intrigued me is, is some of their game mechanics that they provide and sell on their Quest Giver's website, I've implemented into my tabletop game. So like I run a 5e game, I've ditched, I've ditched inspiration and i've implemented their system called luck dice and i love it so when i heard that he had a polished system i I had to check this out and why i say it's kind of pgx style is the whole idea behind easy d6 is he uh you know dm scotty has years and years and years probably decades of experience of running sessions at conventions and that is what has birthed this system is that it is you know, the idea behind it, the drive behind it is that it, it wants to foster creativity at the table without everything getting bogged down in all the charts and tables that the old grognards like us so much enjoy, but do tend to slow things down. So it only uses a D6, hence the title, and it's really meant to accelerate things. Now, one of the things I've seen about it that I think is kind of cool is the same thing I think on first blush makes it seem like, oh, it only uses six-sided dice. That seems kind of mundane, especially for people who have massive hordes of polyhedral dice like myself. But what's cool about the D6s in this is that they explode. So anything you're doing 
if you roll a six, grab another d6 and roll again. And if you roll a six, grab another d6 and roll again. And so things can get really crazy really quickly. I haven't played it yet, but it's I, I've ordered it. I've, it. You can get it on Drive Through RPG PDF and premium hardcover will set you back right now twenty five fifty plus shipping. Uh, it's normally priced. It looks like at thirty eight dollars. But all the art in the book is the, the book is laid out by uh, Runehammer Games, which I believe a lot of you are familiar with. Yeah, Index card name. RPG. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, Hanker Inferno. Uh, he he's behind the layout for this product. So from what I've seen, it's got the old school aesthetic. It's like a black and white book with kind of like the gritty art style. I think it's the core rules of the book are covered in like twenty pages, and then the rest is all just flavor and guide from his years of experience running the convention and. I am somebody who doesn't have particularly a ton of time to wrap my head around chunky game mechanics. And sometimes you just want to sit down and play. And I hope, I really hope that this will be the system for me that I can do that where I can be like, all right, here's a scenario. I'm throwing together, draw up your characters and grab a fistful of D6 and play. So very cool. Yeah. Easy D6 has been on my radar. It looks really good. I know I see it's awesome. I, I, yeah. So, well, Thank you so much for coming on our podcast and talking with us this evening. Thanks for having us. Oh, much appreciation. This was awesome to be here. It's great to talk to you guys. I can't wait to see you at the show. Yeah, can't wait to see you guys at the show as well. Maybe after the con and the dust has settled, we'll have you back on. We can talk a little bit more about video games and RPGs and all that fun stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. I love nerding out about it. Even the guy who sells us our insurance policy for the show is a giant gaming. And I'll spend more time talking to him about arcade cabinets and old school niche video game consoles than I will about it. So always happy. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for having us. Uh, much appreciation. Uh, Absolutely. Thanks for taking the time. You know, it's like I said, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, also like the fact that it's nice and close to my house. So yeah, Me too. <laughs> again, that is uh, the Pittsburgh gaming expo and that's October 1st and 2nd in the Monroeville convention center. So very excited, very excited to be there this year. Yep. And as always, links to everything mentioned are in, well, almost everything mentioned are in the show notes. Facebook, Twitter, Discord, TikTok. Um, if I'm forgetting anything, it's there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we want to thank everyone for listening and remind everyone, be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at meandsteverpgpodcast. On Discord at meandsteverpgs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. That's a wrap. All right, I got to go and put my chickens away. Good night, guys.
Take it easy. <laughs> Take it easy.